You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So it includes positive living. It does not stop at repentance and an acknowledgement and awareness of sin, right? Just saying those words that God, you know, forgive me of my sin, or even that I'm aware of my sin. It means it involves a positive endeavor on your part, on my part, to live in a manner worthy of someone who has been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. In the story of the prodigal son, the son realized that he was living a life he didn't want to be living. He chose to go back to his father, change his ways, and live his life differently. It's never too late for you to decide that you need to go to God, change your ways, and live your life differently. In today's message, Pastor Mike will encourage you to examine your life and see if this is really where you should be in your relationship with God. Are you daily seeking to know God better? Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Colossians chapter 1 as he continues his message, Walking in the Light. In the book of Colossians, as it relates to being a member of this kingdom of light, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, there Paul, who is the writer of that book of the Bible, addressing the church of Colossae, he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. Let me give you another cross-reference for this. In 1 Peter in chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's it. It is the kingdom to which we belong. And so if you've made that decision for Christ, if you've been converted to Christ, if you're born again of the Spirit of God, you've entered into that kingdom, into that realm. And then it becomes our occupation to walk in that light. Now, what does that mean in practice? Remember, I suggested that we want to talk about what that looks like. So what does this mean in practice? And how do I know that I am walking in the light? Well, simply, we cannot claim that we are walking in the light unless we have repented of our sins. In other words, we are a people whose eyes have been opened to the whole doctrine of sin. We realize we were born in sin. 
and that by nature, by birth, we are all the children of wrath. In the 51st Psalm, in verse 5, this is what we were born into. The sin of our first father, who was Adam, kind of was translated over to all of us. This is the way that we were born. We were born in sin. And the Bible tells us exactly that. He says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So we've come to realize that. We were slaves at one time. We were born under the dominion of sin and Satan. And at one time, we were living in the realm of darkness. But now, we've been born again of the Spirit of God. Our eyes have been opened to the truth, right? We've received the Spirit. We've received a new view of sin. And having seen it, we grieve over that sin. We now have a a different outlook on sin and the things that we do. I mean, think about it. I, I didn't have any inclination of wanting to change the lifestyle that I lived before my conversion experience and before I was even exposed to Christianity. I didn't feel convicted over sin. My conscience never really was working against me. And I was just a happy person, you know, doing the things that I was doing. It was, I didn't even realize that it was a destructive force within my life until God revealed those things to me. But after my conversion experience, I begin to grieve over my sin. We know what it is to feel a godly sorrow because of what we were. We've now become alarmed about ourselves. And I think that's what Paul was getting at when in the book of Romans in chapter 7 and verse 24, he cries out and he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Are you familiar with that text of scripture? There it is in Romans 7 in verse 24. That sense of grieving over his sin, right? So we become alarmed about ourselves. And we cry out, even as Paul cried out, a wretched man or a wretched woman that I am. So the point is, is that this is absolutely essential to being a Christian. You know, to walk in that attitude of repentance. And it's not a one-time kind of a thing. We've talked about this before. It's an attitude. It's uh, the way that we walk through life. And walking, it's a part of that walking in light experience. We continually walk in repentance before God. Because, and I'm not giving anyone license to sin, but more than likely down the road sometime you're going to sin. You're going to blow it. You're going to say something unkind about another person. Maybe you're going to stretch the truth a little bit. They call that a lie, by the way. Whatever. Maybe you're going to think an impure thought or do something underhandedly. It may be at work. Whatever. And uh, you fill in the blank, right? So anyway, this is essential to being a Christian. No one is a Christian no one can be walking in the light who has not seen this, who has come to the place of, of, of grieving over their sin. So that's just a part of the equation. Now that brings us to our second point, and that is after you have become aware of this terrible state of sin, that you're a sinner, this is the initial step, we then begin to move towards change. And this is, again, a part of this whole process of walking in the light. We move towards change. Sort of like, if I can use the example of the prodigal son. Remember, who squandered his father's inheritance, right? He wanted to experience all the world, what the world had to offer. And so even in advance, he asked of his father for his inheritance. 
And so what did he do with his inheritance? He squandered it on riotous living, the Bible tells us, until one day he woke up face down in a pigsty, and then finally he came to his senses. And like the prodigal son, it's recorded for us, by the way, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 15, in verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. Think about that. Isn't that been our own experience at one time? Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, it's just we come to that place of like, okay, enough is enough, and we find ourselves face down in the pigsty, whatever that pigsty might have been for you and, and for me. And then we say, I will arise and go to my father. And the prodigal son gets up and he goes to him. And he changes his whole realm and position. You see, this is a part of walking in the light. In other words, the Christian must do this. So it includes positive living. It does not stop at repentance and an acknowledgement and awareness of sin, right? Just saying those words that God, you know, forgive me of my sin, or even that I am aware of my sin. It means it involves a positive endeavor on your part, on my part, to live in a manner worthy of someone who has been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Now, is that the way that you're living your life? And only you can answer that question. And listen, I'm not, I, God hasn't drawn you here to bum you out or to lay some kind of a guilt trip on you, but it's something that I think regularly we should examine. Take that inventory. Go through your life and what you're doing in the course of a day, the week, the month. Where are you right now in your relationship with the Lord? Can you honestly and legitimately say that you're walking in the light? Well, this is a part of that process. So what it means, therefore, is that men and women who walk in the light are people who are seeking God. You're seeking God. If you're seeking God, you're not going to be involved in these things that are a part of the realm of darkness. Our desire is to know him better. We are concerned about the glory and the honor of God. And therefore, we are extremely anxious to please God. We've come to realize that for many years, we lived in a realm that was antagonistic to God. But now, our whole idea is to be as different from that as we possibly can be. Are we striving towards that end? I hope you are. I'm sure that you are. Listen, God is our master. And we're concerned about righteousness, and we're concerned about holiness. Listen, there is no value in a supposed faith that doesn't lead to action. If you haven't taken notes up until this point, by the way, I robbed this. I ripped this off from, from one of my commentaries. This was something that I, I think we need to write down. Let me say it again. There is no value in a supposed faith that doesn't lead to action. I really like that. And so walking in the light means repentance, turning from sin to holiness of life. These are the ultimate proofs of the genuineness of a true Christian profession. It's what makes people Christians. It's that realm in which they are walking. It is the kingdom to which they belong. Now that brings us to our third point, this evening. Now, walking in the light also means I'm confessing my sins. Now, this is an integral part of walking in the light. We need to confess our sins. You're going to blow it. We've already established that. And when you do, pick yourself up, brush yourself off, and confess your sin to God. 
What are we told in verse 9? Let's go back to our text. And what a, what a wonderful promise. Isn't that wonderful? God doesn't hold those things against us. This is the umpteen time, Phinezio, that you've done the same thing. You know, I've had it up to here with you. You've crossed the line. And I'm just going to remove my spirit from you. No, he doesn't say that. What a wonderful promise. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful and precious promise. Now, I want you to think about this. Isn't it true that light always reveals the hidden things of darkness? And so if I refuse to face my sin, it's sort of like you're addressing those dark areas of your life. You turn, if you will, you're walking into a room that's dark and you turn on the switch, right? And while you're asking God to forgive you of your sin, it's sort of like you're turning on the switch. You're bringing that light into that area of darkness within your life. Because think about it. If you refuse to face your sin by not confessing your sin to God, how does that happen? You make excuses for your sins. Like, for example, you ripped off your boss at your places of employment. Because after all, he's not paying you for all of the hours you're putting in, right? You should be making more money than you are. So, uh, you know, the boss isn't around, so you're going to put your hand in the till, and you're going to just get what you deserve. I mean, if he doesn't appreciate all of the time, you know, no big deal. He's making a ton of money. So that might be an excuse that you offer, rather than just simply confessing your sin. You're ripping him off. You're, you're a thief. You're a robber, right? It's so easy to make excuses for our sin. Or blame shifting is another way to circumvent your confessing your sin before God. You've done this or done that because you didn't have the advantages that other people enjoy. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. It's crazy, the, the excuses and, and how we shift our blame to other things rather than just simply addressing our sin and confessing it before God. And in doing that, what exactly is going on? You're avoiding the light, you see. That's the issue. That's the problem. In doing that, making excuses, blame shifting, you're avoiding the light. I am concealing and refusing to face something, and that breaks my fellowship with God. Why? Because God is a holy God, and God is light. There's only one thing that will separate you from God, and that's your sin. That's, that's the only thing that can separate you from God. So I'm resisting the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit is like trying to convict you of your sin. He's trying to reprove you. And isn't that really the operation in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, at least in part? In John's Gospel in chapter 16 and verse 18, in verse 8 rather, John 16 and verse 8, I was tweaking my message this morning over a cup of coffee, and I had already sent my notes over to Pastor Jose. But think about this. This is a part of the operation in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, and when he has come, and if you look at that in context, he's speaking of the Spirit, he, notice the capital H, by the way, third person of the Godhead, equal with God the Father, God the Son, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, when you've let your guard down, right, and you've given yourself over to some temptation, for whatever reason, there's this conviction as a believer. You know, it's sort of like the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder. You're convicted of your sin, right? He'll bring a verse of scripture to your memory, right? And it's something that applies to what you've just done. He's convicting you of your sin. He's reproving you of your sin. 
He's trying to bring you to that place where you confess it before God. So in not coming to the light and not confessing your sin, the truth of the matter is you're actually resisting the work, the operation, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is to bring hidden sins to light, to convict me of my sin and lead me to forsake them. And so confession is essential. We must remain open to the light. Let it search us. Get rid of the defenses, the excuses, and deal with God's word honestly in our lives. Because the word of God has that capacity through the operation. It's through the word where the Holy Spirit works so powerfully in the life and heart of the believer. Like, for example, in a service like this one where the word is going forward and the Holy Spirit is using it. He's the great teacher. I'm just the errand boy. I'm just a conduit through which God is speaking. And I just kind of fumble through these messages, really. I put them together and stuff. But it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us, right? It's the Holy Spirit who encourages us as well. But he does that so powerfully through the teaching of the word of God, right? He wants us to deal with God's word honestly, in our lives. Now notice here, we're to confess our sins to God. John isn't concerned about anyone else. He's concerned about, remember what he's addressing here, the subject of our fellowship with God and my walking with him. And what he tells me is that having confessed my sin and confessed it to myself, first of all, I'm being honest about it, then I confess it to God. Now, I agree that there are certain conditions, and, and the reason why I mention this, I'm emphasizing this, is, is we need to bring those sins, we need to be honest about ourselves, and then we need to bring it before God and confess our sins. He doesn't tell us to go confess our sin to this brother or that sister or our uncle or our aunt or, or whatever, but I got to also say to, to balance this teaching out, there are certain conditions and circumstances in which I have to confess my sin to another person. That is, if I've injured that other person. I've sinned against that other person. Some particular situation where some other person has been involved. You know, it would be good to go and confess, you know, brother, I, I've said an unkind thing behind your back. I shouldn't have said that. I don't know why I did. Please forgive me of my sin. So there are certain situations by which or in which we should confess our sins to our brothers and sisters. So the scriptures don't suggest that we're not walking in the light unless we're running around exposing all of our sins to everybody. And, and let me tell you something. Over the 40-something years now of being a Christian, I've seen that happen time and time again. People, you know, they, they have these little gatherings together after the services or before the services, and they're exposing their sins. And, and you don't need to do that unless you feel led of the Lord to do something like that or to enlist someone's help for prayer, like you might want to go to an, like a, a more mature brother or sister, and the only reason why you're, you're letting them know about your sin is so that you can enlist their help through prayer, and there certainly is an advantage to that. But, we, but I've known people over the 40 years, I've seen this happen, where that's who they are, that's what they're all about. They're just, it's like you see them coming, and you're like, oh man, let me out of here. Because you know they're going to lay this whole thing on them, on you, about their sin. It's the same thing, and it's the same sin over and over and over again, by the way. So we must confess our sin to God. 
laying them open before him. You know, if you get some time during the week, if you would, read the 32nd Psalm. I'm just going to highlight two verses of scripture. But we have a wonderful model laid out for us by David concerning his sin, particularly the sin of adultery, which led to the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, in context there. But I would encourage you to read the entire 32nd Psalm. We obviously don't have time to do that this evening and address the, the whole Psalm. But I just want to highlight something. But it's a great model that's laid out for us by David as it relates to repenting, confessing our sin before God. But in the 32nd Psalm in verses 4 and 5, and this is the result. When the hand of the Lord is heavy upon us and we're being convicted by the Holy Spirit, this was David's experience. He thought he was real good, by the way, in hiding his sin. You know the story, right? Okay. He says, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? Have you ever experienced that before? God doesn't let you get away with stuff. Right? He convicts us of our sin. Why? Not to make us feel good. The Bible tells us that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He just wants to rid you of your sin, to get rid of it. He doesn't want that to stand in the way of your fellowship with him. He says, my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. In other words, he dried up. Dried up how? Dried up spiritually. If you hold on to your sin and you continue to walk in the darkness of your sin, you can be sure that you're going to dry up spiritually, folks. And then he goes on in verse 5, he says, But I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a wonderful release that is. Just to bring your sin before, and, and to have this promise, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You see, then, and only then, are we assured of this great and glorious blessing which he is ready to give us. And so, we must walk in the light, and as I see and recognize my sins, as I am convicted of my sins, as I walk with God, as the holiness and the light of his nature reveals them to me, what do we do? I confess those sins. I don't attempt to evade or avoid them, I acknowledge and admit them to him. And having done so, my side of this fellowship is fulfilled. And the glory of the gospel is that if I do this, and how simple it is, I mean, think about that, how simple this is, that God will do something for me which he alone can do. And what is that? He'll forgive me of my sin. And then in turn, he will give me joy unspeakable, full of glory. Amen. So gang, walk in the light. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. First oh, John 4, 9 reminds us that we can be certain God loves us. How is this possible? We know because He sent His one and only Son into the world, that we might live through Him. We are given the chance at eternal life with our Creator because Jesus came to the earth to die in our place. 
His gift of grace is available to you today. Would you like to learn more about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus? We'd be happy to tell you all about it. Please give us a call at 212-247-1877. You can also find out more about this relationship by visiting our website, harvestnyc.org. Under the Resources tab, you'll find some information on how to know God. This will tell you why you need a Savior, why God sent His Son, and how your life can be transformed forever. You're always welcome to connect with us with questions, and we'd love to know if you've made a decision to follow Jesus. Our phone number again is 212-247-1877. We want to meet you too. If you're going to be in Midtown Manhattan, come join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll be able to reserve your seat and get directions at harvestnyc.org. Or join us virtually. We're streaming each Sunday and Thursday, so everyone has the chance to attend and worship as a community of believers. That website again is harvestnyc.org. Thanks for tuning in to In My Father's House. <laughs>